evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network, north and south, east and west, every state and territory in Australia, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. If you get called away, nature calls, you break a leg, you fall out of a building, don't despair if you survive, you can always get the podcast at uh, 3cr.org.au of the Anarchist World this week. We're going to have a bit of a... uh, Mixed program today. Look, we don't do shows, all right? This is my 40th year. We do not do shows. That's entertainment, okay? We do programs. We do programs. We try to educate, inform, encourage, and get people to take action. That's what the Anarchist World, Anarchist World this week is all about. It's not about entertainment. It's not a show. If I wanted to do a show, I'd put on some garters and start dancing and have a camera in the studio. So it's not a show, it's a program. Okay, let's move on. Now, next I'd like to thank all those people who've rung me regarding my uh, wife, Ellen Jose, who contacted us in various ways. Look, we think of you as our extended family. Ellen is critically ill, very ill at the minute. Uh, everybody's doing everything they can. Um, she's been ill for a long time, those of you who have known her. So we'll see what the next week or so brings. Um, uh, most likely it won't bring, bring good news, but at least we're all thinking about her and I appreciate it greatly. As, as I said, families come in different ways. Um, you know... Uh, you don't have to be genetically related to somebody to be part of their family. And that's the great thing about broadcasting a community radio, especially over 40 years, that you are, you develop lifelong friendships and enemies, obviously, but lifelong tr- friendships mainly that uh, sometimes times cross family boundaries and uh, community boundaries. And that's, that's the extraordinary thing about community radio. So all of those of you who have... Um, been thinking of us over the last week. Thank you very much. I'll keep you informed. Um, I'll just keep you informed about how how things go in the next uh, week or so. But as I said before, Ellen is um, critically ill. And those of you who have known her for a long time will know that uh, she's an amazing activist over many, many, many decades. She does have one little message. Uh, this Saturday, the 3rd of June, is the 25th anniversary of Mabo Day. 
and uh, since uh, 2003 she's been organising a Mabo Day celebration at Federation Square in Melbourne and although she won't be there this year she'd like you all to come uh, to join her in spirit to celebrate what is an extraordinary event in this country's history so if you can make it 11.30am Federation Square at the corner of Flinders and Swanson Street you know uh, I know this year that the Federation Square Authority, which usually sends police and uh, security guards to try to break up our little Marbo uh, celebration that Alan Jose has been organising for years, because we don't obviously ask permission, uh, is holding a uh, community day on Marbo Day with the uh, Curry Heritage Trust, and uh, we will be joining them later on. But uh, we'll be starting at 11.30 sharp this Saturday. Federation Square, Melbourne, corner of Flinders and Swanson Street. You'll see the big blue banner. It's got an uh, image of uh, Alan Jose's RIP, Rest in Peace, Terra Nullius uh, installation, uh, which was uh, built in uh, 1993, three years after the death of Terra Nullius. It's a traditional uh, Torres Strait Islander uh, tradition is to have a uh, tombstone opening about three years after the uh, death of an individual and she felt it was appropriate in her own way, in her own ironical way to actually have a, uh, a tombstone opening for Terra Nullius so there will be a picture of that. Now, since 2003, Ellen Hosea, Torres Strait Islander elder who has lived in Melbourne for over 40 years and his family comes from Mur, Darley and Hall Island in the Torres Strait has organised a yearly Marbo commemoration in Melbourne at Federation Square to mark the end of the historical fiction this land was uninhabited before it was colonised by the British Crown in 1788. Terra nullius. Beautiful word. Terra nullius. The land of no one. People who had lived here for over 40,000 years were just ignored. Fauna and flora. They weren't human beings. It was the land of no one. No one was here. So the British ground could take it, couldn't they? This year, unlike in previous years when they've uh, put security guards and police onto us because we haven't asked permission to use open public space, which has been privatised, which is Federation Square, the Federation Square Authority and the Koori Heritage Trust has organised a Marbo Day community picnic and celebration at Binarong River Terrace next to Federation Square from midday to 3pm on a Saturday, 3rd of June. After the Federation Square event at 11.30am, after we finish, it'll be 12, 12.30, we encourage you to walk with us to Binarong River Terrace to enjoy a fantastic program of live Torres Strait Islander performances including music and entertainment. So, it's a Saturday. Hay and rail will shine. We will be having uh, this uh, commemoration. As I said before, Ellen's been organising it since 2003. She was the chairperson of the, uh, I think it was Wongai Association, which had a large celebration here in uh, Melbourne in 2002 to mark the 10th anniversary of the Marbo decision. So why celebrate a 
Mabo Day. As we know, reconciliation begins on Sorry Day, the 26th of May. It was followed by the 50th anniversary of the referendum in 1967, which gave the Commonwealth power to make legislation for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Before that, only the states had the power to make legislation. And the woeful situation people found themselves in, you know, where they were prisoners basically in their own land, was specifically due to state legislation which attempted to uh, annihilate the original inhabitants of this country and the islands around this country. So Reconciliation Week begins on Sorry Day, the 26th of May, marks the 67 referendum on the 27th of May and ends on Mabo Day, the 3rd of June. So why, why should you, as a non-Indigenous Australian, because I don't use the word white Australian anymore, we're not a white society, we're a multicultural society. We have people from every corner of the universe in this country. Every colour. And that's the beauty of living in a city like Melbourne. Melbourne is a marvellous city, not because of the infrastructure or the political structure or the fact that it's a relatively peaceful city, but because it demonstrates that a peaceful, successful, multicultural society is possible. Obviously, there are many problems we would like to overcome as cities around Australia face the same issues around Australia. But the larger cities and many regional cities now are becoming multicultural cities. They are multicultural cities, irrespective of whatever people attempt to say or do. We're not a white community. We have people of all skin colours, religions, sexual orientation, genders in this land. So, so why should anybody, anybody who's not a Torres Strait Islander celebrate Mabo Day? Why? When Australia was invaded and colonised on the 26th of January 1788 and the flag was raised... In seven, I think it was in, you know, when Cook raised the flag in 1770, 18 years previously, to claim the east coast of Australia on behalf of the British Crown, the British colonisers acted as if the land was uninhabited. Obviously, they knew the land was inhabited because there was resistance for over 130 years to the colonisation process across every inch, every inch of land on the Australian continent and the islands around this continent was contested land. Over 40,000 years of civilization was swept aside an orgy of destruction that resulted in the violent disposition of people who had a long and fruitful association with this land. For 204 years till 1992, the legal fiction of terra nullius, the land of no one, was used to legally reward the murderers who colonised this land, although the original inhabitants had never ceded their sovereign rights over the, their lands. They never ceded their sovereign rights. In 1982, three traditional landowners from the island of Mur in the eastern Torres Strait, Eddie Cookie Mabo, Father Passy and Grandfather Rice, sent in train a series of events that began in the Queensland courts during the Bielke-Peterson era and ended in the High Court of Australia, that overturned the doctrine that Australia was unoccupied 
terra nullius at the time of the British invasion. The High Court of Australia on the 3rd of June 1992 ruled that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander interests in land and water survive the assertion of sovereignty by the Crown. So these are the court of the colonisers. The colonisers' courts ruled that what they had done and the legal precedents they were using, their own legal precedents, terra nullius, were wrong. They were wrong. This is the, the High Court of the colonisers themselves, deemed in 1992 that what had occurred was wrong. Now, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders continued to have an interest in land and water. And that interest survived the assertion of sovereignty by the Crown. Now, the judgment, and those of you who are old enough to live during that period, would be, you know, would wake up to uh, headlines of uh, Indigenous people setting up the tent in your backyard and claiming that tent. <laughs> serious, deadly serious. That's the calibre of the reporting in all forms of media regarding the judgment because here we were, the thieves, the murderers, the rapists had been found out and they were about to lose. They could have lost some, a little bit, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what they had. So it didn't take long for the law and letter of the judgment to be buried in bucket loads of extinguishment by successive federal governments. Now, a lot of people think that the decision in 1992 was a flawed decision. The decision wasn't flawed. What was flawed, as we will see with the Alaru. Uluru statement, as we will see in a minute, what was flawed was how the system was used in an attempt to negate the decision and make the native title process such a difficult process which set pitted clan against clan, tribe against tribe, to water down the significance of the ruling which said the titles of the original inhabitants, native title, still stood. 25 years after the High Court judgment gave Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders rights to land in law, the question of sovereignty, the extent of native title and a need for a treaty or treaties between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians continues despite attempts by successive federal governments to bury the issue to be the single most important impediment to reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. So you can bring your family, friends, children to celebrate Mabo Day. You can start off at 11.30am with the Mabo Day observance, which Alan Jose has organised here in Melbourne, and I'm sure there are observances across the nation. Find out in your neck of the woods what the local Torres Strait Islander community has organised to mark Marbo Day or what your local council has organised. Bring your friends and family to celebrate Marbo Day and bring them next year and the year after and the year after, irrespective of whether Ellen Jose dies in the next few weeks 
or next week or so. What people like her have done will continue to live on and more importantly make us a better people and a better society and a more just and humane community. So if you're in Melbourne, join us at 11.30am, corner of uh, Flinders and Swanson Street at Federation Square. Then after the ceremony, where Ellen Hosea will be there in spirit, we will walk down to the uh, community festival down at uh, the Riverbank. Let's move on. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this society works in an interesting way because what happens is you have a crescendo and then nothing. It's this is with the Uluru Statement. Now, obviously, having delegates, Indigenous delegates from across the country, going to Uluru, trying to come up with a negotiated solution to the issue of the proposed referendum was a difficult organising process. These were not representatives. These were delegates who'd come from their traditional communities with specific ideas. And it was the delegates' job to come up with a compromise agreement which suited both urban urbanised and non-urbanised Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities from around the country. This is a historic moment. It was historic because it was self-organised. It was historic because it was based on the idea of delegation. It was historic because of the symbolism, the symbolism of having a Uluru at the heart of the Australian continent. The delegations from any indigenous delegations from every corner of this land went there to come up with a compromise solution, irrespective of what you or you or I think. At the end of the day, it's irrelevant. What's relevant is the solution that was come up. Fifty years to the day after the nineteen sixty-seven referendum counted Indigenous Australians in the Senate, their delegates have said with one voice, with one voice, they've said, it's now time to hear us. It's now time to hear what we would like. And the first thing they would like is a representative body of the 200, over 250 nations which existed on this continent and the islands surrounding this continent, including both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, a representative body to be incorporated in the Australian Constitution which is able to advise, offer advice, not tell government, but offer advice to government through a representative body of what Indigenous Australians, the nation's first First Nations people of this land, want 
It's a simple request. There is nothing radical about it. The only radical thing about it is they want it incorporated in the Australian Constitution. They don't want symbolic recognition. They want that recognition that as a people, as peoples across this land, they are able to have a representative body in the... Con- They're not asking for a third chamber of parliament. They're not asking for reserved seats in parliament. You know, everybody tries to you know, make it more difficult than it is, but a simple request. And they want it incorporated in the Australian Constitution because that means that if the Australian people agree to that request, and it's not a demand, that request, then it's only the Australian people who can remove that representative body because the history of representative bodies in this country, and those of you who are old enough to remember the history of representative bodies, is that governments set them up, Governments get rid of them, whether it's an advisory group which is handpicked government by government, or whether it's or whether it's an administrative uh, or it's a representative body as we had in the past, where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people elected representatives to a group which then advised government, which is you know happened fifteen years ago happened, it happened, but it, to incorporate it in the Australian Constitution means that the government of the day cannot wash its hands of that group and making a representative organisation means that the government of the day cannot appoint the people it thinks will follow their ideological objectives to advise them. Simple. The second request was, again, exceptionally simple. Exceptionally simple was to put in place a process by which Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, this nation's First Nations people, could negotiate treaties at a local level, a local government level, state government level, and possibly a treaty at a federal government level, whether these treaties would be with individual tribal groups or whether regional groups or whether national on a federal level, but to actually initiate a process by which this can occur. A process. They're not asking for it to happen now. But a process. This was a compromise decision. Many people want treaties now. But this was a process to be put in place to look at the issue, to build a road via which this can occur at some time in the future. And the third statement was very simple. For a commission to be established to look at the past. A Justice and Reconciliation Commission so that all Australians can understand. We can all understand whether we're immigrants, whether we were born here, whether we've been here, our families have been here for generations or just arrived. We can understand why Indigenous Australia 
finds itself in such a difficult situation. Such a difficult situation 233 years after colonisation began. Because we need to understand the past, so we need to learn about the past to understand the present and change the future. And that's what the process of the Tanaminawai Mōbōhina Commemoration Committee was all about. I mean, that committee worked for a long time to ensure that a monument was established in the city of Melbourne at the corner of Franklin Street and Victoria Street, a monument you can go to and stand there and sit and reflect in the garden-like setting, which highlighted the injustice of what occurred on the 25th of January 1842. A monument which can act as an impetus for that Truth and Reconciliation Committee. A monument which can act as an impetus for the erection of monuments around the country to all those freedom fighters, those tens of thousands of men, women and children who gave up their lives, defending their lands, never ceding their sovereign rights. The Mabo, the Torres Strait Islanders have never ceded their sovereign rights to their islands and their call for autonomy and independence. The Mabo decision never removed their sovereign rights. It said they had rights because the law which they had used, the colonisers used, was wrong. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Scarum, hosting today's program. Now, two more things that are happening. The public interest before corporate interests is changing tact in terms of its uh, mechanisms by which to be registered as a political party. We know we need to get more involved in activities that occur in the community. We know that. Plain as simple. Black and white. Everybody knows that. So what we will be doing over the next 18 months is the first thing we'll be doing is we'll be holding a rally. Not one rally. We never hold one rally. A gathering on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at Spring Street in Melbourne on the last Wednesday of the month at midday from 12 to 1 and then we'll follow up with a community gathering and picnic. That's what we want. We want you who are listening to this program who live in the city of Melbourne and the regions to come and join us. And if you're not a member, we'd like you to come down and become a member. And if you're on the electoral roll, even better, because then we can use your membership as one of the 550 members we require on the electoral roll to become a registered political party. And if you're not on the electoral roll, we still want you as a member. So this is an opportunity for people around the country to organise similar gatherings in their neck of the woods. So if you are interested in public interest before corporate interest, and you'll find... Nobody else is interested in public interest before corporate interests. 
Nobody cares. No such thing as a public intellectual. In Victoria, the Victorian state government is one with the private sector when it comes to providing public infrastructure, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So we, yeah, you and me, we, we are the people we've been waiting for. Not them, not the representative bodies they set up, not parliament, not the person down the street is into Nintendo, but we, we are the people we've been waiting for and we need to get together and we need to work together. And we are a political party, public interest before corporate interest, which is based on the fact of our common objectives, our common interests, the commoner, the commons. What were the commons? They were the lands which were able to be used by everybody. When the Industrial Revolution occurred in England, the common lands were confiscated, closed down to force agricultural workers into the hellhole of the industrial age to create profits for the emerging corporations. And very little has changed today. There is no common. As I said at the beginning of the program, even at Federation Square when Ellen Jose organises a small gathering of less than 50 people every year to mark Marbo Day on the 3rd of June, what happens? This is land, this is a square which was paid for by public money, managed by a private corporation on behalf of the Victorian state government. What happens? They used to send in police and security guards till this year to try to break it up, move us on, because we hadn't asked permission. What happens when the Wednesday Action Group, which has been around since 1999, carries out an action around Melbourne every Wednesday to reclaim public space? What happens when the, we go down to Southern Cross Station, the major railway station in Victoria? State-owned property, which is managed by a private corporation on behalf of the state government. You get 90 centimetres of footpath. We've had 30 or 40 police turn up, you know, for 12 people. Extraordinary. So the common, the common land, the common interest has been totally privatised. Totally privatised. And so public interest before corporate interest is to ensure, guarantee, write in iron, chisel in iron, that the interest of the community as a whole always takes precedence over the interests of privately owned corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. That's what we are there for, to ensure that governments that theoretically represent the interests of the Australian people at the local, state and federal level understand understand that first and foremost their responsibility is to the people they represent. 
not to those who have the assets to pull the parliamentary strings. For example, defending and extend public housing in December last year, we were approached by friends of public housing in Victoria to assist them in getting up the idea of public housing. And this is an exceptionally difficult struggle. And I'll tell you why. Because people don't understand what the word public means, what public housing is, what it was, what it should be. And when you're faced with a government apparatus which uses every trick in the book, every lie, every lie and every trick in the book to privatise public housing, you know that you have a real struggle. As we see a state after a state being closed down and redeveloped, what do we see? What do we see? We see the people that have lived on these estates for decades moved away, not giving a guarantee they'll be taken back. And then we see these new estates which have been formed by so-called private-public partnerships which give ownership to so-called social and affordable and community housing groups which are little more than private corporations, irrespective of whether they're for profit or not for profit who then change the parameters via which people use public housing. $6 billion was raised from stamp duty in Victoria alone. If that $6 billion which is raised from the sale of stamp duties is quarantined to build public housing, you could build 20,000 new public housing units every year just in the state of Victoria. And if you replicated this across the nation, that stamp duty money be quarantined for public housing, you could build 60,000 new housing units every year across the country. Not only build, but manage. But there is no political will. It's all about privatising these assets by using every trick in the book, by using the so-called you know, welfare sector, all those organisations which make hundreds of millions of dollars by providing services to the community on behalf of state and federal governments, when you're battling against them, you're battling against the state, state governments which have forgotten what the word public means, You're battling against a federal government which gives a state government money, a 15% incentive, to privatise public assets. So we will continue with the Defend and Extend Public Housing campaign in Melbourne. And the next rally will be on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House on Wednesday the 7th of June, midday. There won't be any big-name speakers because big-name speakers aren't interested in public housing. They somehow, you know, gobbled up the propaganda, and it is propaganda, that affordable and social and community housing is public housing. It is not public housing. It is private public housing. But we will have people there who will speak of their experiences, 
we will keep the flame alive. We will once again invite all those lovely politicians in the House of Representatives and, sorry, in the um, Upper House, Legislative Council, Legislative Assembly, to come down and obviously none of them will turn up again because as far as they're concerned, we're flogging a dead horse. We don't count. We're the fringe. We're the radical leftovers. We're the human garbage that can be swept away. Well, the thing about garbage, when it rots, it causes disease. Think about it. Listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Look, if you want to get more information, there's a lot of things you can get, get onto, and you don't actually have to have a computer, but I will do all the computer stuff first. You can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page and uh, get organised for the next rally on the 7th of June, midday, Wednesday, which is a parliamentary sitting day. Isn't that wonderful? A parliamentary sitting day. So what are the four requests? Not big enough to make demands, but we can make requests. No more public titles will be transferred or sold to privately owned organisations. Current and future governments will not enter into any more private public housing partnerships. The management of public housing will not be transferred to privately owned organisations and that public housing stocks are substantially increased. Access to adequate, secure public housing is the glue that is the key to social cohesion. No public housing, no social cohesion. More private security guards, more homeless people, more violence, and the list goes on and on. And all this garbage about trying to get you know, private-public partnerships, it's just that, because in every one of those partnerships, it's the private sector which benefits enormously by getting its claws onto publicly owned land, which then it can sell for a profit. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And that's what public interest before corporate interest is all about. So it doesn't matter where you're listening to, to this program in this country. Have a look at the website, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Download the application form, info at pipsy.net. Info at pipsy.net. Just download the application form, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to the Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. You can go to the Anarchist Institute Facebook page, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. You can also look at my own personal Facebook page. Yes, you won't find out what colour underpants I'm wearing. I don't even know where I am, what colour I am. I don't I just think I just put them on today. But go to the Facebook page, Toscana, T-O-S-C-A-N-A, for the public. Toscana for the public. Become a friend. Look at the uh, thought bubbles, which we put up five or six times a week, just about different issues and about different things that are happening in the world, just to open people's eyes to what's happening. Because at the end of the day, now this is this is a very radical idea. <laughs> at the end of the day, the type of society you're left with, the type of human interaction you have, to a significant degree, depends on people like us who are willing to stretch the envelope, who are willing to make the demands, 
who are willing to put forward new ideas. And if there's one thing I've learned in 48 years of being an activist, or is it 49 years? 49 years this year of being an activist, 50 years next year. If there's one thing I have learned, if you wait for somebody else to initiate something, it will never happen. You need to initiate it yourself or come together with other people to initiate it. And once it's initiated, it becomes a powerful force. You may be deflected, kicked, ignored, arrested. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, those ideas become part of the cultural fabric, the social fabric. 50 years ago, many of the things we take for granted today were illegal. Things like, you know, people in same-sex relationships being able to carry out those same-sex relationships without the law being involved, without being humiliated, degraded in the, in, in the community at large. Now, that came through activism. Indigenous people, their struggles, the struggle for gender equality, the struggle for social equality, the struggle for wages, conditions, all these struggles that have been at the forefront of making this country a country to be admired are now disappearing, going away, being removed without even a blip on the landscape. When you get the so-called unfair work commission say that we are going to remove overtime rates for the most poorly paid workers in this country who rely on those overtime rates to meet their bills, not to invest in the stock market or to negatively gear a second home, but to meet their bloody bills. No riots in the streets. Just blip, acceptance, bang, next. Let's take away long service leave. Let's take away sick pay. Let's take away this. And if you're on an individual contract, especially for those in these so-called new disruptive industries, you love the word, the new disruptive industries, the Ubers of the world, the Deliveroo's of the world, who are based on the old-fashioned concept of employing labour for the lowest wage possible without providing any of the benefits of full-time employment, a disruptive industry, of course it's disruptive. It's disruptive in terms of making money for the people who organise that industry and squeezing the people who provide the labour to ensure that industry continues. We just shrug our shoulders and accept it. Here we are, public public interest before corporate interest, you know, trying to sign people up over 18 months. People shrug their shoulders. What's public? What's the public? What does it mean? Oh, is that what it is? Extraordinary ignorance. And I don't blame people for that ignorance. That ignorance has been manufactured by the domination of a mass media which is owned by people whose major responsibility is to make a buck for themselves and their major shareholders. That's the only responsibility a corporation has. And to see so-called independent Senator Mr Darren Hinch throw his weight behind 
removing all ownership rules as far as the Australian media is concerned highlights how far we've gone backwards because capitalism is about corporations. It's about little fish being eaten by bigger fish who are eaten by bigger fish and bigger fish until there are only one or two fish left in the ocean. It's not about a situation where there is a balance between the big fish and the little fish and the krill. That balance which we as human beings are slowly eradicating but a situation where the natural endpoint of a capitalist system is the growth of monopolies and duopolies. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. Now, think about bleeding banks. Now, I'm going to go through something, and I need your attention. So sit down, switch off the phone, turn off the TV, stop playing your, you know, your computer poker, Sit down, get a cup of tea or a coffee, whatever thing you need to keep you awake and, and listen to this because this is, this is not a fairy story. It reads like a fairy story, but it is just so extraordinary. And, what, and the extraordinary thing is you don't read about it. You don't hear about it. You may hear little blips and little pieces, but nobody puts it together. It's very simple. Now, Mr Morrison, the Federal Treasurer, had a problem. He had a problem. He had a black hole in the Australian budget. And we know he had a black hole because corporations pay voluntary taxation in this country. We know that. So what Mr Morrison decided to do was introduce a 0.015% tax on the five big banks. Okay? Sorry, 0.015%. Just stay with me. This is a complex story, and that's that's why they make it complex. So idiots like you and me don't understand, but this time the idiots do understand. All right? Okay, this will raise about $6.25 billion over the next four years. Raising this money meant that the the rating agencies, which are self-appointed agencies which rate different governments, and countries on their financial stability, like you know, scum like Standards and Poor's, and there's a few of them, so that we wouldn't lose our triple A credit rating, right? Triple A credit rating. Now the country's credit rating, sorry, the privately owned banks' credit rating, especially the big banks, is directly linked to the credit rating of the country. If your credit rating falls and if you're a big big bank and you're not relying on investors money to make money like a lot of the small banks do but you're relying on being able to borrow money on the international scene what that means is that if the credit rating falls the amount of money the amount of interest you have to pay on borrowed money if you're a big bank increases so if Australia's credit rating fell from triple A to double A plus, you would find that the cost to the big five privately owned banks to borrow money would increase by 10 to 15 basis points. So what's a basis point? What it means is 0.1%, okay? That would mean 
if Australia's credit rating fell, that they would have to pay an extra $6 billion in interest per year to borrow their money they need in order to continue to make their multi-billion dollar profits. So the fact that the government placed a tax on these five large banks, which is actually less than the money that would be saved if the money that they would need if the credit rating fell, means that they've done very well out of this. Now, at the same time, we were told the smaller regional banks would have a competitive advantage. But what did the rating agencies do? They decreased the rating on the regional banks, which means those regional smaller banks which need to raise capital in the open marketplace will need to pay more money. Now, this would have happened to the five big banks. So here they are, screaming and carrying on about a piddling tax to raise $6.5 billion when they get a $5 billion subsidy from the federal government because it, uh, you know, it continued, it did something to continue the AAA rating and, they, and they're bitching about paying a little bit of extra money. They would have had to pay $20 billion extra over four years and it gets better. Now, how many people remember that the government... has an $850 billion guarantee on the major banks. Now, in the past, when the Commonwealth Bank over two decades ago was owned by the people of Australia, there was an inherent government guarantee in the Commonwealth Bank. But now this guarantee is linked to deposits of $250,000 or less. So if you've got money in a major bank and there is a financial crisis the government has guaranteed your money if you have $250,000 or less in deposits in a bank, and that guarantee is worth $850 billion. So having that government guarantee for the major banks ensures that the major banks are rated as the top 20 in the world, in the top 20 in the world, because they're government guaranteed. And on top of that, if there's a financial crisis, these same privately owned banks have access to $200 billion emergency fund. Now, these maggots never tell us this. And the fact that they've got to pay a little bit of extra tax, $6.25 billion over four years, which is about $50,000 a day for each of the major banks, is nothing when you compare it to the trillion-dollar guarantee which is there on those banks, when you compare it to the fact that there's a AAA credit rating which saves them over $20 billion over four years. Think about it. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. Don't forget, if you're in the city of Melbourne, join us to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Mabo decision on the 3rd of June 1992, which stated that the law of terra nullius was dead, buried, gone, wrong. Join us at the Ellen Jose organised uh, 25th anniversary celebration at Federation Square at the corner of Flinders and Swanson Street at 11.30am. And then around 12.30am, uh, walk with us down to Birrong 
uh, Ma, the River Terrace to enjoy a fantastic program of live Torres Strait Islander performances. So why celebrate? Think about it. Be, be part of it. All right. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. And all those sites you can get to, you can write to us. Yes, we do answer letters. Weren't many last week, but write to us. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. If you've got any $1 stamps, throw them into the mail. We need $1 stamps. We want to do a mass mail out to uh, many of our Pipsy members. And we need $1 stamps, $1 stamps. Why a mass mail out? You'll find out if you're a member in the near future. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. I won't be answering the phone, but you can leave messages of support on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, for the public. Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, for the public. You can uh, go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. Email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Pipsy website, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Uh, go to the Facebook page, uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Defend and Extend Public Housing. Go to the Facebook page and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Lots of things to do. It's up to you. Life is short, as we all know. You can unexpectedly be terminated. It can take a long time or it can just happen in a second. So join us. Make a difference. Be part of that ongoing community struggle, that social struggle to create an egalitarian community. A community which is based on anarchist principles, principles of no rulers, a community which is based on the principles of devolving power and sharing wealth. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This is the Anarchist World this week in their 40th year of broadcasting. Uh, in, uh, in Australia. Thank you once again. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you're in the city of Melbourne, don't forget, 12 o'clock today, public interest before corporate interests are gathering on the steps of Parliament House. Join us. Have your say. Join, join public interest before corporate interests. Give them a fright. Tell them, show them who's in charge. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Tune in next week to the Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!